0: We all are aware of the, uh, I I think generally we are aware of the the trends uh, in regard to church engagement, church involvement, church participation in our culture, and and I'd like to bring out um, a few of of these trends. Uh, First of all, what they are seeing, and a lot of this information is from the, the Pew Research Center. Uh, in a widely regarded um, study that they conduct and have conducted for decades about religion in American life, among a lot of other things that they, that they study. Uh, first of all, uh, believers who are affiliated, and so it's important to understand that they're looking at people who claim to know and believe in God, um, those and then participate in a church. Those are the affiliated. The unaffiliated are those who may believe in God, who, who believe in God, but don't necessarily affiliate or associate themselves with a church. Uh, Believers who are affiliated with a church are increasingly active, okay? Across the board, it's not like people are um, leaving churches and becoming less active. What what we're seeing is kind of extremes. Those who are involved um, in a church are increasingly active, and those who are kind of uh, Squishy or not involved are increasingly not involved and, and secular. Uh, the second thing, believers who are unaffiliated. So, people who claim to uh, have a faith, they claim that it's important, they, they, they may pray regularly, they may read their Bibles regularly. They are um, those who are unaffiliated with a church, but claiming to be of belief they are in their lives increasingly becoming secular, increasingly becoming like the world. so they may claim to know and follow God or want to follow God, uh, but their lack of involvement in a church is leading to more secular lifestyles. Um, And we see that God is something to pursue uh, individualistically. You especially see this in the the millennial generation and the generations that are following. and this is amongst this, um, this sense that we can't increasingly trust authoritative institutions, including uh, religious institutions and church, because of what appears to be trends which have always existed, uh, that, that the leadership of these types of institutions, religious organizations and churches, are increasingly uh, suspect and not worthy of our trust. And so the consequences of this On religious believers, okay, on those uh, who claim to uh, want to know God, who know God, and want to pursue Him, the consequences are significant. Uh, Believers, at some level, are declining in their commitments to church involvement. Um, And we see. That the historical reasons for being involved in a church are increasingly unpopular and disregarded or not even considered. First of all, um, the idea of needing to be under authority. I mean, I remember when I was in my teens and in my college years, um, people would encourage each other to be a part of a church because there was a a recognition that we needed to have people shepherding our lives Um, that idea is increasingly suspect and disregarded and considered kind of something uh, silly Um, public authorities are less trustworthy uh, and we are in a society that is increasingly individualistic um, I'm going to be referencing uh, Charles Taylor and Robert Bella a lot in this series because they both are writing to the, the secularization and individualization of our, of our culture. And the first quote I have uh, is, from, is from Charles Taylor out of his book, Ethics of Authenticity. These are secular professors uh, writing from their perspective as philosophers and sociologists in the world. Charles Taylor says this, We live in a world where people have a right to choose for themselves their own pattern of life to decide in conscience what convictions to espouse, to determine the shape of their lives in a whole host of ways that their ancestors could not control. And these rights are generally defended by our legal systems. In principle, people are no longer sacrificed to the demands of of supposedly sacred orders that transcend them. So basically what he's saying is this. Uh, We increasingly as a culture are moving away from a realization that there are higher purposes and higher authorities that we are to give our lives to. We we aren't committed to anything beyond our individual selves. Nothing is greater or higher than our own sense of well-being and our own sense of what... Of, of our of our moral sense, of our authenticity, uh, the sense that we've got to be true to ourselves, and that's the highest calling. Uh, the other thing that we see uh, becoming less significant in terms of reasons for church involvement um, is is doctrinal clarity and doctrinal soundness. Um, we see increasingly um, authority is seen in. Um, doctrinal traditions or theological traditions or theological schools of thought um, versus the scriptures. Okay, let me explain to you the importance of this. Um, We would hold that the scriptures are the word of God through Jesus Christ to us and hold authority, all right? Well, um, what you increasingly see is people... um, stereotyping interpretations or understandings of scripture into a particular school or tradition and because because it's all a matter of one's interpretation or all a matter of the tradition or school of thought that you're in it's easier to disregard the word as authority because you can just say oh well that's their interpretation or that's the tradition that they're in they're they're calvinist or they're armenian or they're baptist or they're they're Lutheran or, or whatever, and, you, and, and biblical understanding is no longer understood to be words from a text. It's understood to be words from men or schools or traditions, and so it's easier to disregard these traditions because we can just say, ah, well, that's where they're coming from. That's their history. That's their culture. That's their tradition, and the idea that we can get at a sound and accurate interpretation of Scripture is increasingly suspect. The scriptures were written to clearly understand. And yes, there are interpretations. Um, But it seems to me that that, uh, there are some really challenging texts in scripture. And that there are going to be very valid, differing interpretations. But let me tell you, those places uh, and those texts uh, are few and far between. The, the essentials are not, um, are not up to a lot of interpretation. I mean, our culture would say they are. Um, but a, a plain reading of and, and work given to study and understand the text will generally reveal, especially in the context of a community of people that are all reading their Bibles together and pursuing the truth together, the text is, is pretty clear on what Jesus wants us to do. But we increasingly see that authority is not held in the text, but held in traditions, and we can reject those because it's just people. We also see a recognition that there's a need for community. All right, It's light community. When you start talking about a community of people that you are covenanting with, which is what originally baptism was, a baptism was, a, was, a, was an indication that you are not only affirming the teachings of Jesus Christ and the gospel of Jesus Christ, but you are affirming a, a people that are also uh, covenanting together and committing together to, to hold to those teachings and to hold to the, to the, to the gospel of Jesus Christ and, the, and, and to give of yourselves, that you're going to have to sacrifice your time and energy, your talent, your money, your resources, your family. This is the people that you are committed to and it's going to cost you and you need to be committed to it for the rest of your life. All right, That's a little too much. That's a little too much. The foundations of biblical community is the authority of God expressed through the teachings of Jesus Christ and Spirit appointed elders. The, 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 the strength and authority of the church comes from the Holy Spirit and it comes from the Word. Uh, we also uh, see that, um, that the importance, the importance of being involved in a cooperative mission, a cooperative work together is increasingly um, not taken as seriously or important as historically as it has been. And so we see all these things happening and uh, these transitions occurring in our culture that, that would uh, have us become increasingly individualistic, um, even in our faiths. And what we're going to see here today that um, that Paul is writing to his co worker Titus. He's saying, listen, it is of it is vital importance, it is of foundational importance that the people of God are in a church community and that they are orienting themselves around a, a leadership that is there to teach them and to protect them. And so Titus is written uh, by the Apostle Paul. It's written to a co worker. I didn't do a lot of the intro last week. He's written to a co worker. Uh, named Titus, and basically Paul and Titus um, went to the island of Crete, and they went around the entire island to all of its cities and towns, or the major cities and towns, and they preached the gospel and they started churches. All right, but basically all they did was preach. Uh, people believed. They assembled them together into a community of people, and then they went and <laughs> preached at the next town. And so Paul leaves. Titus on the island, and he goes and preaches somewhere else, and he tells Titus in chapter one, verse five, uh, this is why I left you in Crete, that you might set in order what remained. All right, so Paul and Titus didn't consider their work done just because they shared the gospel and gathered people into a church. There was a setting in order, okay? There was, there was some structural elements to put in place in order for these churches to continue to thrive. Um, and to see, and he says later in the passage that Amy's read, um, Cretans are liars, evil beasts, and lazy gluttons. Okay, that's what Paul quotes one of the, the authors and poets of, of the Cretans' own culture. And Paul says, yeah, that's a true statement. Cretans are liars, evil beasts, and lazy gluttons. But, but Jesus Christ has called these liars, these evil beasts, and these lazy gluttons to something higher. To something higher. He's called them, and as we see, he's called them to good work. He's called them to good work. And and that good work, we're going to see good work in the church, good work in families, good work in communities, good work in the pressing needs, good work in our occupations. The idea of good work spans all of those. And and Jesus doesn't want to leave, and listen, Americans, liars, evil beasts, lazy gluttons. We have to put ourselves into the place of the Cretans. Okay, Jesus doesn't want to leave his people where they're at, under the the enslaving powers of addictions and sin and hardship and death and suffering. Whether it's self-inflicted, whether it's inflicted by others, or whether it's the consequence of natural disasters, God does not want to leave us there. He wants us to be transformed into people working, and we're going to see, he wants us to be transformed to be attractive. To be attractive and excellent And profitable, these are all words that Paul is going to use. So he's wanting to transform these liars and evil beasts and lazy gluttons into beautiful, attractive, excellent people that are profitable and productive in their world, across the board. And so he says, there's some things to set in order to ensure that this happens. The foundations must be set. And he goes right into the first thing that you appoint elders in every town as I instructed you, as I instructed you. So the elders we see have two functions in this passage. First of all, they are to give instruction in sound doctrine. They're to teach sound doctrine and they are to rebuke those who contradict, all right? Those are the only two things that we see here happening. If you add some other passages through scripture, they are also, and this is part of the rebuking um, those who contradict the sound doctrine, they are to protect the church from, from division and, again, false teaching. Out of the Acts chapter 20, verses 17 through 38, we see uh, they are to teach and they are to protect. That is largely what the elders do. Largely what the elders do. Um, and in their teaching, they, they strengthen and support and encourage and pray for and, and admonish all of us uh, to abide by Jesus' teaching. The elders point the church to Jesus. They don't point them to themselves, they point them to Jesus. And they tell those who would distract the church from Jesus uh, to stop. And they teach the church to understand that these people are dangerous that would undermine Jesus Christ. Now the qualifications for elders, this is one of the two passages in Scripture that we see qualifications given to elders. The qualifications, and I'm not going to go through them in detail, the qualifications have a very important purpose. And the first one is to ensure soundness. And Paul makes a very important distinction here that he makes throughout all of his letters, especially in the pastoral epistles, first and second Timothy and Titus, where he is instructing co-workers in the in the foundational elements of what it means to grow and to be. Uh, to build and to shepherd a church he says they must teach sound doctrine sound doctrine now the idea of sound um, as opposed to just doctrines okay anybody can can espouse doctrines anybody can sound smart and witty and learned and scholarly and you can get really deep and get really philosophical and get in the, in the Greek and the Hebrew and the Aramaic and, and, and espouse all kinds of things that makes it really sound like you know what you're talking about. And it can be very deceptive because it, we all feel intimidated around people that sound and look really smart. Doctrines don't necessarily reflect Jesus' teaching. Sound doctrine. Sound doctrine means that it's healthy. It's beautiful. And it is coming from somebody whose lives are demonstrating health and soundness and beauty. And elders, they need to be sound. If somebody is spouting doctrines, but their lives are a mess, they're not spouting sound doctrine. They're spouting doctrines that make them look and feel smart, and they're trying to intimidate others to get them to follow them. And Paul says, listen, if you want to know, if you want to know a sound teacher, their lives need to be characterized by a certain set of qualifications that validate the power of their teaching. The power of the gospel moves us from being liars and evil beasts and lazy gluttons into being beautiful, hardworking, productive, members of our families, our churches, and the world around us. Okay, that's why there's instructions and qualifications around households. There's instructions and qualifications around how they, um, how, what does their life look like in regard to alcohol and substances and food. How is their emotional health? Are they violent? Are they angry? All these things look at the whole person. And if we don't have teacher, and t- teachers that are teaching doctrine that is backed up by sound, beautiful living, the doctrine ha- has got some substance behind it. Paul will later say, he says, there are teachers that proclaim to know God and that can talk the Bible from morning till night. So their words and their mouths proclaim to know God, but their works deny God's very existence because there's no no hint in their lives of the power of God transforming them from being liars, evil beasts, and lazy gluttons. And sound doctrine is backed by a community of people. It's not just one elder. It is a team of elders and that team of elders is in the midst of a community of people whose lives are to be increasingly characterized by beauty and attractiveness productivity effectiveness and excellence right? that's when you know uh, that there is a church on the right track are people's lives being transformed into something more beautiful and productive than where they came from yeah And because of the work that it takes, and you all know, if you've been around Twin Cities Church very long, it is hard work to put an end, to, well, to quote Paul, to put to death sin in your life, isn't it? It's hard work. It's hard work to help others put to death sin in their lives. And it takes a long time. It took a long time for me, well, I wouldn't say that I'm, I've arrived it is hard work to put off anger and to put on gentleness and patience. Hard work. It is hard work to put off sexual immorality. It is hard work to put off substance abuse. It doesn't just happen like that. We need people around us to help us and to pray for us and to support us. And when we fail to, to pick us back up and to continue to encourage us and to admonish us, it's hard work. And so we know that that, 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 that um, Men and a community of people that have gone down this road of putting sin to death have engaged in the hard work necessary to continue in the hard work of protecting the church from false teachers. Paul says that there are that there are these false teachers, they upset entire families. They are insubordinate. What does he mean by insubordinate? They are unwilling to come under any sort of authority. The authority of the scriptures and the authority of the Word of God, and the authority of elders. If you f- a lot of these false teachers are standalone people with no authority in their lives. They're insubordinate. There isn't a single person in this church that isn't under authority. We are under the authority of Jesus Christ, but even the elders are under the elders' authority. Okay? One person, I, as lead pastor, I don't have authority. I have authority as I exist in a team of men with authority. And the only other authority that I have is my authority to communicate the Scriptures. But if I stop communicating the Scriptures, I lose my authority. So I can go to places like Mozambique or work with other churches in this country or others, other cities, other churches, and they're, they're listening to me, but not because I, I'm something special, but because God has given me the ability to communicate His Word, and His Word has authority. There's no one person with authority other than Jesus who's called the chief shepherd of the church. And so people that are unwilling to submit to other authority, automatically their doctrine is suspect. They're empty. There's, there's no substance to their words because there's no substance to their lives. They are deceivers. I'm working with some folks right now, not in, not in the church, that, that there is teaching coming into them from people not submitting to authority, and they're bringing in some teaching that's saying that Jesus is a created being and not God. Oh, and, and you latch onto that idea, and then everybody else around you is wrong because we teach that Jesus is God and not a created being. Okay, so that, boom, that gives them a platform. And then it erodes everything else, it's destructive. And they teach for shameful gain. They teach to get people around them, giving them money, giving them power, giving them a sense of importance. And they are deceptive. And they are teaching what not ought to be taught. And let me explain the the, the strategy of these false teachers. See, because Paul brings in the the Cretans are liars, evil beasts, lazy gluttons. It is easy to get people believing in false teaching when those people have what Paul calls defiled minds and defiled consciences. When we are under the guilt and the weight and the pressure and the shame and the fear of addiction, of sins in our own lives, we're looking for something to validate us We're looking for something to say what we're doing is okay. And so false teachers just don't show up with a lot of nonsense and all of a sudden people say, hey, you know what, that sounds like good teaching. I didn't think Jesus was God either. But when they start telling you that, hey, you know what? Uh, It's okay if you sleep with your girlfriend and you're not married. It's okay because you love one another. You know what? It's it's and and they start teaching really strange things about husbands and wives and authority. Not biblical, not balanced, oppressive and misogynistic. It affirms their anger that they have towards their wives. All kinds of ways to work ourselves to to work themselves into people whose minds and consciences are looking for some validation some security, somebody to tell them that they're okay, some some teaching backed up by the authority of God in the Bible that says that they don't have to change. That's how false teachers work. And that's why Paul says, you've got to exhort and strongly, he says, rebuke these people sharply. You know, I I looked up sharply (laughs) And the word in the Greek dictionary actually said, harsh. And I'm like, okay, Paul, you, you told Timothy and 2 Timothy to be gentle <laughs> to those who oppose, to be gentle to all. And so is there, a, is there a gentle way to be firm? Yeah, there is. You can come across as loving and firm and strong. Or you can come across as very loving having no teeth, or you can come across as super harsh and just mean, okay? We, we, we've got to be, it, it, Paul says, the man of God must be gentle to all in order that we could save those who are captured by the devil to do his will. And so leaders are instructed to, to have some teeth in their admonitions because it creates a level of seriousness in the context and in the spirit of love and gentleness. And that, that's something that takes skill. That's something that takes skill as well. But we need to understand, and, and this is what I really want us to be clear on. None of us, none of us are exempt from falling into false teaching. None of us are exempt from the sins that lead to defiled minds and defiled consciences. All right, defiled minds means we're not thinking clearly. Defiled conscience means that we've lost our our moral way. We've lost a sense of right and wrong. And the further we continue in sin and support it by false teaching, the more depraved of mind we become and the the less uh, able we are to discern between right and wrong. Okay, you guys. None of us, none of us, are exempt from falling into those kinds of sins, opening us to, up to false teachings. None of us. We are all the same under God. Romans chapter three establishes that quite solidly. We need Jesus Christ in our lives the purity and the truth of the gospel. All of us are sinners. Jesus Christ has come. He has given his life on the cross. He has bought forgiveness through his blood. He has resurrected from the dead. And all who believe in him come to life with him. We are raised with him. Our sin no longer masters us. Our flesh no longer masters us. The demonic forces in the world And in the air no longer master us but they can still influence is why paul says in chapter 4 of ephesians do not give the devil a foothold by letting anger and bitterness and resentment continue in you people are going to sin against you and you're going to sin against others and let me tell you folks this is the easiest place for us to come under false teaching When we have let the devil have a foothold, he's not possessing us. It's not like a demon comes into us and possesses us like we see in the Gospels and in Acts. We're not susceptible to demonic possession. We are susceptible to demonic influence because we've said, you know what? The people that have sinned against me or my own sins that I'm angry and resentful towards myself in, they they are above the Gospels' ability to heal. And that is a rejection of, of Jesus Christ in our experience. It's a rejection of the Holy Spirit in our experience by saying that there's something so significant and so huge that's been committed against me or that I've committed that the gospel is not, that the blood of Jesus Christ is not big enough or worthy enough to cleanse and heal. That is why it is so uh, powerful in a negative way resentment, bitterness, and anger because we open that up and then, 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 we're, all, then we're all susceptible to the influence of false teaching and, beca- and, and, and then becoming less and less and less effective, productive, attractive in our work, in our work in our families, in our work in the church, in our work in our jobs. And sometimes the sin becomes so great and our anger becomes so great that we start breaking laws. And then we're, then we're not doing any work except behind bars. And until we meet Jesus, hopefully behind bars, which is what we are trying to do with Twin Cities Ministries and our work with, with, uh, in the jails and with the discipleship homes and in the Metro Hope. You meet Jesus and you start rebuilding again rebuilding a life that is capable of being beautiful and attractive and productive for yourself, for your family, for the church, and for the world as you follow through with the occupation that Jesus has called you to. And so we need Jesus Christ. We need Jesus Christ to fulfill this this calling that he has upon our lives. And if we're going to follow Jesus Christ, then we've got to follow him into the church. It's his new community Prior to Christ's coming and the Spirit's coming, there was the nation of Israel. God was working through a people. God is still working through a people. Ephesians chapter 2 tells us that, that God has, has created the church to be the dwelling place of God. First Timothy chapter 3 says the church is the pillar and support of the truth. The church holds up and shows the truth to the world. And that's what, that's what God has created to be the means through which He's accomplishing His purposes and to show His wisdom and His glory and His truth to this, to this world. And He's calling us here to obey Christ and to submit to the elders and to put away our individualistic faith. He's calling us to one another and and providing a way through the church and through the elders for all of us, for all of us, to cleanse us of being liars and evil beasts and lazy gluttons and to make us beautiful and attractive and to fulfill the work that he's created every single human being to fulfill. We all have talents and gifts and abilities and aspirations and those are image of God things in us that he's called us to. And Christ wants, to, to, for, he wants us to experience those things, to bring us fulfillment and to multiply those things into a place of joy and an experience and fruitfulness that is beyond anything we could have imagined. Ephesians chapter three, verse 23. Anything beyond what we could imagine. Again, false teachers just don't show up. We're all susceptible to them. We're all susceptible to our sin. In proposing solutions, so Robert Bella has written this book called Habits of the Heart. And it's in like its fourth edition and there's a new preface every decade that they come out with, a, with another edition. Maybe it's just thir- three editions. Um, scholar from Berkeley. And, and he's trying to address really the problems that exist in American culture, class divisions, race issues, income disparities. I mean, like, across the board. He's just trying to take a big picture view. Okay, here is what America is about, and here's what would bring about some serious change. And so he sees that this individualism that has really gone crazy... Uh, is really eroding at what he calls a sense of civic membership. And in proposing solutions to restore this sense of civic membership and to kind of tamp down this this runaway individualism, he says this. When we consider how to renew the cultural capacity for community and solidarity in each of the three classes. So he's got he kind of he's there's the there's the overclass the anxious class and the underclass. And we all you know, are familiar with the dynamics of this in our own culture where there's more and more wealth going to the overclass. There's more and more problems. He, he sees all of these things as integrated and every, every class has a, a way that they could contribute to a, a greater civic solidarity in America. So he says he says that well, when we consider how to renew the cultural capacity for community and solidarity in each of the three classes into which our society is divided, it would be well to remember something we have already mentioned. And this, this blew me away when I first read this, that in America, that in American society, religious associations, churches, have the strongest hold on their members and almost alone have the capacity to reach individuals in every class. This guy isn't a believer as far as I know. He he died a couple years ago. Berkeley scholar, this book has been very popular and well read over the last few decades. But he sees that the church is a substantial resource to to the regeneration and renewal that our culture needs. It's like he's reading the book of Titus. Because that's exactly where Titus is going. And the foundations start at the church and with the leadership that God has appointed. Let me pray and then we'll look at some questions. Lord God, thank you that uh, there are people like Robert Bella and Charles Taylor that, uh, that see what's going on in this world and that have seen what you've done historically in the church. And yes, Lord God, your church, the people that call upon your name, uh, have been embarrassing to you and to the church for many centuries in a lot of different ways. But God, it's really it's really a blessing to see that the world does see a lot of positive things about what the church has done and what the church could become. And I pray, God, that you would restore that idea uh, in this world and and that you would draw people to your name and to the church for the good of this society, for the good of the world, And Lord God, I pray that you would deepen these convictions in us. Uh, We need each other, Lord Jesus Christ. We know that, we believe it. Help us to continue to live that way. And God, thank you for the the elders that the Spirit has appointed. Thank you, God, for their hard work. Thank you for their devotion to your word. I pray, God, that you would protect us uh, by continuing to to strengthen us with, um, with men that are worthy of this call and that you would continue to raise up more and more men and more and more families and more and more house churches and more and more house church leaders and families that can host and men and women that can counsel and teach and instruct us, God, in the the teachings of Christ. In your son's name we pray. Amen.